welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So many of you know we have a friend, uh, his name's Tuzier, and uh, Tuzier is the pastor of a new covenant church plant called Roots Covenant, and we have been uh, involved in walking alongside of and uh, kind of supporting, partnering, praying for with Tuzier and what's going on there. So we wanted to have Tuzier come and just share a little update as to what's going on uh, and to pray for him. So if you would, welcome our good friend Tuzier. Happy to... Testing. Okay. There we go. Happy to be here. Thank you guys so much for having us. I um, want to give you guys a just quick update again on how Roots is going. Uh, the first thing is I want to share with you guys a story. Uh, about two months ago, there was a young couple that joined one of our evening gatherings. And a uh, young couple had been married for about a year. And uh, our gathering is from, our gatherings at that time was from five to seven. And afterward, they decided to stay and just talk with us about how life was going. And they stayed till about midnight, sharing with us about the struggles of their marriage and sharing with us how difficult it had been. And, and the uh, husband confessed to us that one of his greatest fears was that um, his wife would just go to work and never come back. And she shared with us that she had contemplated that a number of times, actually. So, you know, we were, were talking with them, listening to them, praying with them, sharing scripture with them. And at the end of the night, they told us, you know what? Our foundation for our marriage has been shifting sand. You know, we, we need a new foundation. And, and they said that they wanted to commit to have a marriage that was centered on God, that was centered on Christ. And we prayed for them that that would be true. Um, the, you know, over the next couple of weeks, God was working in their marriage. And last Sunday, uh, they were given an opportunity to just share how life was going for their marriage. And um, it was amazing how, how they were interacting with one another, um, how they shared what God was doing in their life. Uh, he, he told us uh, in our last gathering that... Um, for so for for the past year, he had been so afraid of bringing up difficult conversations with her, um, and they were just always clashing. But you know, with the decisions that they made to you know center this relationship on God and in Christ, they were able to actually communicate and talk, and able to forgive one another, and able to get past all of their past grievances. And it's an amazing thing to see what God is doing in their life. Obviously, things aren't perfect. But we see God forming and transforming them. And this is a young couple that has committed to be a part of Roots. And this is exactly what we want to see. We truly believe that Jesus changes lives, changes marriages, can change the world. And so, um, you know, that's our hope for what we're doing with Roots. Um, You know, you guys just recently started missional communities. That's actually, uh, we're not using that language, but that's essentially what we've been doing for the past couple of months. We've been actually forming a missional community. Instead of starting with uh, small groups or starting with the gathering, we actually decided to start with the idea of having these medium-sized groups, missional communities to uh, once a month go and serve in the city, go and serve our community. And then the uh, other weeks is to eat and reflect on how God is what God is doing in our lives. Um, third gathering is a time to uh, praise God and hear, receive a word. And the fourth gathering, again, is a time to eat dinner together and to pray for what will happen again, which is to go and serve our community. And so we're just having this monthly rhythm of doing these things. And uh, next spring, our hope is to actually begin uh, public worship. So that's what we're doing. Um, some quick prayer requests would be pray that uh, God would bring along uh, to my left and my right, uh, a Toph and a Ben. Um, 
That would be a great blessing. Uh, and also prayers that uh, older and more mature uh, Christians would join us in our journey. Right now we've got a bunch of young 20-year-olds who don't know what we're doing, so that would be awesome. Um, those of you who are uh, part of the advisory team or the core team, if you want to just come on up here and we're going to lay hands on these guys, and I'm going to invite you all to pray for them because um, I do this every week. So uh, just a couple of you if you want to pray pray out, um, and maybe I'll just close with, a, with an amen. Does that sound good? Great. Cool. Get in here, Roger. <clears throat> All right. moment and we want to be attentive to the ways that you're opening us up. We thank you for Tuesday and Mike Lee. God, give them uh, just a sense of rest and shalom and yet uh, expectancy for what you're about to do. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. <laughs> All right, friends, grab your Bibles if you have them. Uh, Luke chapter 4. The kingdom is bigger than awaken. Amen. Okay. Love it. Uh, if you are just joining us, we're in a series called Theography. I was in Israel uh, just over a month ago, uh, just less than a month ago. And I'm working through some of the things that I learned there. I'm super excited about it, and I'm excited to share some of them with you. Um, week one, we talked about 1 Kings 18 and Elijah, the prophets of Mount, on Mount Baal, or the prophets on Mount Carmel, uh, the prophets of Baal. And uh, uh, week two, we talked about Tell Dan last week, uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry. Uh, what does it mean to be thirsty and the woman at the well? And then last week, while we were on our retreat, um, my good friend Dave Berge, who's actually planting a covenant church over in South Minneapolis, was with us. Thanks, Dave, if you're listening to this podcast, and Jimmy for being here and letting us get away. Uh, this week, Luke 4. And I really want to center this, um, this teaching on the idea of identity and um, what does it mean to live into your name. We all have names, first names, last names, but then there's something deeper than that that is below the surface of who we are on the, uh, uh, you know, the, or what we project, sort of below the surface that is public, there's this idea of identity and name. And I think that this text, uh, Luke really, uh, the first four chapters, is asking us to consider 
um, what does it mean to live into your name and what does it mean to live into your identity, which I think is a question that we're all asking. I remember when I was in um, about third or fourth grade, we had just switched schools from Central Lutheran in St. Paul to St. Anthony Park across the tracks on the other side of the fairgrounds. And uh, I was just a youngster trying to find my way, trying to make a, what was that old Michael W. Smith song? Looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in this world. Looking for a reason, rolling through the night, like a rose play. I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> you took, the, all right, that's enough. Why do I do that? I mean, he's, he's probably a great guy, you know. He's a great piano player, and he wears sweet jackets. Um, so I'm just a youngster looking, looking to, you know, trying to find my place in the world. And I remember this one instance on the bus. Now and laters were a big deal. Do you guys remember now and laters, the candy? Right. Okay. This was like all the rage, all the kids would have them. They sold them at the, at the school store along with the weevils. Remember the bull weevils? Remember those? Yes. Yes. Jeff was in my grade school. Uh, we were best friends in grade school. So the bull weevils at the class. So I'm, I, I'm, I have now and laters and I rode the bus to school. And so on the way home, it was a very, very diverse experience on the bus, uh, ethnically, and so I'm, you know, one of a few white kids on this bus, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's my voice and all this, and I'm sitting in the back of the bus, and, you know, all of my brothers and sisters are sitting around me, and, you know, somebody had lost a now and later, and I say this, all that now and later's all up in that kid's jacket. <laughs> and it's just like dead silence, and then one sister goes, why did you just say that now and later's all up in that kid's jacket? And I was like, yeah, man, totally. Uh, you know, one of many attempts along the way in, in growing up in grade school, trying to sort of find who, who you belong with, right? I think this is a question that we all ask as humans. Um, who am I? What's my name? Sort of how do I relate to other people in the world? How do I find the sort of place that I fit? I think this is a question that humans just ask uh, throughout our whole lives. By the time we get to Luke 4, um, Luke is doing something very, very interesting in the first four chapters of this gospel. And he's, he's saying something very specific about who and what Jesus is and is doing. Um, the, the, chapter 4 is sort of the culmination of everything Luke has said about Jesus and really about his true identity. And I'm going to be using that phrase, so I want to sort of define it if, you, if, you, if I can. And as I say true identity, really what I'm saying is the essence of who you are when connected to God in relationship. The essence of who you are when connected to God in relationship. So there is an essence, there's a core, there's sort of a base as to who you are and who you were created to be. This is so, it, it's sort of like who we would all live into if we took sin and brokenness off the table. It's the essence, it's the core, it's who God has created you to be. And I'm starting with the assumption that there is a God and there is a creator that has created us. So we may disagree on that assumption, but let me just say that out, out, out of the gate. I'm starting with that assumption. Some people use the word callings. I know that doesn't always land well or the same with people. So I want to submit that our truest identity is who we were made to be in God. It's when we see the sacredness of our own lives and its connection to the unfolding drama we call life and our part in it. And a question that sort of sur that swirls around the biblical narrative, and if you're looking for it, if you have eyes to see it, I would suggest it's everywhere. A question that's in the biblical narrative that's being asked all the time is, do you know your name and can you stand in it? Do you know who you are, the essence of who you are, and can you stand there? 
Now, in order to see the climax of Luke 4, we have to kind of start in the beginning. So all you Bible junkies, um, this one's for you. We're going to read a whole bunch of passages here, and I'm just going to call them out. We're going to start in verse uh, chapter 1 of Luke, so start there with me. And I want you to pay attention to all of the ways that Luke is making declarative statements about who this Jesus is. Okay, so starting in verse 30 of chapter 1, says this. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will have, uh, the Lord God will have him, will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Skip down to verse 67 of chapter 1. This is John's father, Zechariah, and he says this. John, uh, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said his, uh, through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So this is Zechariah, he's quoting Isaiah and the things that have been prophesied for the Jewish people and this Messiah. Skip down to verse 25 of chapter 2. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Some of your translation might say the redemption of Israel or the rescue of Israel. This is a, this is a hope that's sort of in the, the current of the first century as Jesus is walking around. Who's going to save Israel? Who's going to rescue Israel? Who's going to redeem Israel? Remember what Zechariah has just said about the, the redemption of Israel, this horn of salvation. So this is Simeon. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the, when, uh, the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law that was required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Okay, this is what he's saying about this Jesus. He's the one. Now skip down to verse 36. Another woman named Anna. There was a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, Mary and Joseph, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Okay, are you seeing the threads being tied together by Luke? He's making all these statements about who this Jesus is. Now skip down to verse 49. Why were you, this is Jesus speaking, why were you searching for me, he asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Remember when they forget him at the temple, okay, Mary, and they come back for him? He answers them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his, okay, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is the first in instance of women's intuition. Mary knows what's going on, right? You remember Mary's song? She holds all of these things in her heart. She treasures them. She knows something is special about this boy. Now skip down to verse 4 of chapter 3. 
As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is John prophesying about Jesus, who is this prophet, this promised Messiah to come. Uh, A couple more, verse 15 of chapter 3. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of the sandals whom I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with water, with Holy Spirit, and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Last one, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, heaven was opened up, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven came, you are my son whom I am well pleased. One could make the argument that Luke 1 to 4 is this like dramatic drum roll of a crescendo. Like, have you ever been to an orchestra and somebody's on the timpani and it starts with this sort of slow, slow roll? And then by the end of it, the guys just, or the gals just, bah, 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 bah. it's sort of this huge explosion of what the progression that Luke walks you through in the first four chapters culminates in chapter 4 with what we're about to read. Before I do that, let me show you where Jesus has been so you kind of have an idea as to where this is all taking place. Here's a couple of maps for you. This is Israel, again, long and skinny, north to south. Up in the north, you have the Sea of Galilee. Just to the left of that, the west, is Nazareth. This is where Jesus is born. From Nazareth, you can see Mount Carmel, you can, which we studied a couple weeks ago. You can see the Mount of Transfiguration in this huge, large valley that comes off this point called Haifa. On the, I forgot my pointer, sorry. Um, Jerusalem is down here, at, just to the left of the Dead Sea. This is the capital of Israel. This is where all the religious life takes place. It says in the text that the Jewish and religious leaders were coming out of Israel, coming down to the Jordan. The Jordan River Valley flows at about 1,000 feet below sea level. Jerusalem sits at about 2,000 feet above sea level. So they literally descend 3,000 feet down to where John is, okay? Um, Most would argue that because right after Jesus is baptized, he immediately goes into the Judean wilderness, which was the next slide I'll show you in a second. There it is. Um, I would argue, and and most scholars would say, John is somewhere further south, um, maybe just a bit north of the Dead Sea, so that the people coming out of Jerusalem could come and Jesus could go into the wilderness of Judea, which is just north of Jerusalem. Okay, you all tracking so far? So this is the Judean wilderness. Next, this is where Jesus is tempted by the devil for 40 days in Luke chapter 3, or the beginning of Luke chapter 4. Um, this is where the, you know, the, the, the tempter says, throw yourself off this mountain. It takes him to the, to the temple and says, throw yourself off the temple. And uh, I shall not, man will not eat by bread alone, but by the very words of God. This is where all this is taking place in the Judean wilderness. Next slide, if you will. This is Nazareth in uh, the early 1800s. I took this picture. Uh, this is actually when Napoleon shows up in Nazareth, uh, and this is what Nazareth looked like in the early 1800s. When Jesus was there, when he grew up, it would have been a town of about 200. Very, very small, podunk, think like, you know, way out in the sticks, all right? It's very, very small. This is Nazareth today. Uh, booming, sort of sprawling. It's covered, these hills kind of go this way, and, and it, it sprawls out through the whole 
thing. I'm sitting or standing on the Mount of Precipice, which we'll get to next week, where the people take Jesus out to the edge of the cliff to throw him off, right? This is taken from that spot looking back into Nazareth. All right, everybody tracking so far? You kind of got the lay of the land. Now, uh, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says this. Jesus returned to Galilee, right, from the Judean wilderness in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, hometown, where he had been brought up on the Sabbath, went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which means the salvation of God, was handed to him. So if you're following Hebrew names, salvation of God was handed to Yeshua, which means salvation. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. You can hear the drums crescendo right now. Okay, this is it. This is the moment. This is what Luke is leading up to from the whole, the beginning of his gospel. This is the spot. The spirit of the Lord Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. (laughs) I love this. You're like dramatic pause, right? And he's just like, drop it like it's hot. If any of you remember that. My friend said that uh, he was sitting up here. I mean, Jesus is like, bam, what now, right? It's that kind of a moment. Everybody's eyes are fastened on him. They begin to say, er, and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Essentially, what he's saying is, all that you have been waiting for, all that you have been anticipating, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel, the restoration of Israel, Messiah coming back, suffering servant of Isaiah 50 to 60, all of this that you're waiting for, you're hoping, you're wondering, when will God return? It's now. Do you know what time it is? Not literally, like not do you know what time it is, but do you know what time it is? All the people spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words from their, that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> That's kind of anticlimactic if you didn't get that. It's like <laughs> all of Israel's history is like culminating before their very eyes. And they say, Is that, isn't that Joseph's son? Okay, friends, let's dig into this. Jesus, upon receiving confirmation and affirmation of his truest identity, what happens when he's baptized? The heavens open up, Yahweh descends, and the the spirit of Yahweh descends like a dove, and you hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. What has Israel been called all throughout the scriptures? The sons of God. Jesus is true Israel. He is Messiah. He is the new Exodus leader. He's the the prophet like Moses of Deuteronomy 18. And the affirmation and the confirmation of Jesus' identity is given in this moment. Then immediately, he's led out into the desert where he, he, uh, he's tempted by Satan. Then he goes back to his hometown. These, listen, this is like parents, friends, aunts, uncles, schoolmates. You know, the people that you ran with on the playground. They're all there. He reads from Isaiah 6 and basically says, Hineni, here I am. Here is all that you have hoped for. Here is all that you are waiting for. 
Here is the, the Messiah, the, the restoration of Israel, all of your hopes and your dreams for this country and God's plan for the world. It is standing in front of you right now. He shows them, he sort of draws back the curtain and shows his truest identity and his standing in his own name. Remember, Yeshua means salvation. Next week, I want to explore a little bit as to why they respond the way they do because if you want to read ahead, it's just vexing. It's bonkers how they respond. But today, I want to ask this question about identity and name. What can we learn from Jesus' journey deep into the essence of who God made him to be, his calling, his vocation, his truest identity, where his identity is affirmed and confirmed, and then he stands in it? What can we learn about this process? What can we learn about when we move towards who we've been called to be, who we've been made to be, the truest sense of who we are? What, what can we learn about Jesus' experience? A couple things. One, I would say this. When you move towards the truest identity, your truest calling, your essence, the core of who you are, when you move towards that, it's always challenged. It, is, it will always be challenged. Friends, if you move towards who God has made you to be in the deepest sense of who you are, if there's an enemy, if there is some sort of spiritual battle, whatever you believe about Satan and evil and darkness, however you work all that out, it, I would submit it actually doesn't matter the particulars of it. It's always challenged when you move towards the light of God in you, the darkness does not die quickly and it doesn't go away silently. It claws and it grabs and it tries to undercut. Think about what happens to Jesus. He's 30 years old here, okay? He has been studying, praying, preparing, learning, growing about himself and about who this Yahweh is, okay? I think we think that Jesus is like Clark Kent. Like, you know, beneath, beneath the sort of mask of his humanity is this supercharged superhero, right? Who's God! But I would submit to you that we cannot forget that Jesus is being invited to believe this about himself as a revelation from God, as much as you or I in these kinds of moments are being invited by God to step into the deepest sense of who we are. I would submit that this is no different for Jesus. He's being invited to believe this about himself. That this, in fact, is who God has created him to be and made him to be, and to learn to stand in that place. He's not Superman. His, ident his humanity is not a mask covering up something else. So Jesus receives and he stands in his name, salvation, and immediately he's challenged by the enemy. He's challenged. Whatever you believe about Satan, darkness, evil, I would argue that the closer you get to the light of God in you and who God made you to be, the more resistance you will feel. Secondly, I would say that death and birth are always connected. Death and birth are always connected in the scriptures. And for many of you, this will be review, but the number 40 plays a huge role in the scriptures. When 40 shows up, it's often that something is about to die and something is about to be born. Here's just a quick a, a list, and I could go on for a very long time. I won't. Um, the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years. The spies search the land for 40 years. Moses was on the mountain with God for 40 days receiving the law. Goliath presented himself to the Israelites 40 times, 40 days. Nineveh was given 40 days to repent. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. He fasted for 40 days. 
He remained on this earth 40 days after resurrection. And does anybody know how many weeks a woman is pregnant? 40 weeks. It's not nine months, actually. Fellas, pay attention. <laughs> Gang, say, listen, listen to this. Saying yes to who we are in God means saying no to the seeds of Adam that, are, that remain in you and me. Saying yes to who we are in God means saying no to what remains of Adam and Eve in us. Said differently, in order for the things of God to come alive in you, there are things that have to die. And if we are not willing to go through the passageway of death, then life does not await us. It's just the way it works. In the scriptures, in life, something, in order for the seeds of God in us to come alive and take root, there are things that need to be pruned and removed. Third, I would say identity and name is not the answer. It's a doorway. It's a threshold. We live in a culture that's looking for like a silver bullet, right? There's even an infomercial about the magic bullet. It will, it will meet all of your dicing, chopping needs and dreams and hopes and desires. It is the magic thing in the kitchen, right? How many of you have ever been to a conference where you, or you read a book that was three steps to dot, dot, dot? Go ahead, raise your hands. Don't be afraid, right? We've all been there because we're looking for the, like the least the, the path of least resistance for the most bang for your buck. I want to lose weight and eat potato chips doing it. I want to get you know, buff while watching the Vikings. <laughs> the gophers, because they're winning. Because <laughs> I don't want to be depressed when I'm buff. <laughs> Identity and living into who you are, your, the essence of who you are, it is not a magic bullet. It is not the answer to all of your questions and all of your wonderings. It is a doorway through which you are invited to step through a threshold moment, and it will not be the last. Remember Jesus' last moments on the earth. He's in a garden, praying with his friends. And what does he say? God, if there is any way to take this away from me, do it. But if not... I will walk through this doorway. I will live into this calling. I will live into my name. I want to make sure that we, that we wrestle with this idea. This is the beauty and the pain of the spiritual life. Just when you think you've figured it out, just when you think you've arrived, just when you've made major steps of growth towards your identity and who you are and your name and living in it and standing in it, somebody changes the equation and adds a new variable. It is a process that we work this is why Israel was Israel. The name of the people of God in the scriptures is the ones who wrestle with God and with man and who are not overcome. It is not something that you do, it's not one and done. So anybody who's preaching that is a liar. Don't believe them, please. It's much harder work. I think it's totally worth it. I've sold my life out to it. And many of you have as well but I want to invite you into a struggle and a tension and one that gives, that I believe there is life and light and beauty and growth and things that are alive. But it's not a, it's not a silver bullet. This whole name identity thing. Lastly, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week, but it will bring us back to where we've come from. 
Good news, bad news. When you start asking questions and you start moving towards who you are, who God has made you to be, inevitably, you have to go back to where you've come from. Jesus receives confirmation and affirmation of, the, of who God has made him to be. And where does he go? Nazareth. For many of you, this is wonderful news. Because you have families, you have fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters who see you. And they call out the best that God has made in you and created you for. For many of you, it is not the case. And it's like standing, it's like Jacob standing before his father who can't see him. It's like Leah spending the night with Jacob who doesn't recognize that it's not her. It's like death. If anybody remembers what Mary spoke about this summer, that we experience all kinds of death in life. Not just one, all kinds of. And many of you have experienced deaths of sort where the people who were closest to you did not see you. And I don't have anything else to say to you except that when we move towards who God has made us to be, this is work that we have to do. This is a journey that we have to move towards. I think that one of the most underrated sentences in all of scripture is their response to Jesus. Right? He just, like, do you understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about name and identity? Is this making sense at all? When somebody lives from this place, there is a settledness. There is a peace about them. There is a confidence. And there's not a grasping, and ladies, listen up here, there's not a comparing to others there's not a this or that. There is a sense of identity and centeredness that someone lives from when, they have, when, they, when they're doing this work. Jesus receives affirmation of this space, right? And he's standing in his name. And the response from those closest to him is, isn't that Joseph's son? Can you imagine what that would have felt like? Do you remember what that felt like? For some of you that have been there, when you're standing in front of somebody and they don't see you, this is a, an invitation that I think is central to the spiritual life to following this Jesus. It's moving towards who God has made us to be, the center of who we are, our name, our identity, standing there in that place, not grasping, not needing to get life from anything or anyone else, but rooted in who God has made you to be. And when we live from this place, I think this is what John 10 is talking about. I have come that you might have life and abundant life, the life that I've created you for and made you for. By faith, we follow this Jesus.
and we're reconciled to the God who made us. By faith, we receive forgiveness. By faith, we step into these things. And I think this is the invitation of Luke 4. And this is the invitation that I give to you this morning. For those that, of you that follow this Jesus, what does it mean for you to, to stand in who God has made you to be? Not needing affirmation or life or anything from anyone around you, but recognizing that, it is, that there is something in you that God has made you for and you stand there and live from that place. And for those that maybe have yet to commit to Christ, to follow this Jesus, what does it mean to by faith receive what Jesus offers and begin this journey of walking into this, understanding who God has made you to be. I am holding so much back because it's not ready. Um, but there is... Uh, God has been doing uh, a, a lot of work on me in this area as it relates to name and identity and who God has made me to be and the affirmation and confirmation and the invitation. Uh, and hopefully someday I will get to share that with you. But I hope that you, uh, that you trust that this is, this is not someone who's speaking from a high place looking down, but one who is walking among you trying to learn what it means to be called by God and to be attentive to the Spirit's work in my life and in my heart. And I want to just invite you to come with me. <laughs> I can't do your work, you can't do mine, but together maybe we can keep each other company. How's that sound? Find us online at com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.